Cheers. Cheers, man. Good to catch up on a Friday, mate. How's the week been? Very busy. Very busy. Mm. Lots and yep. lots of phone calls. Uh, a lot of people quite taken back by the increase in module prices. Mm-hmm. Was it foreseeable, do you reckon? Absolutely. Been telling people for the last three months that the uh, panel cost needed to go up and we needed to see a, uh, some of these new costs that have been told to us for months and months and months. And fortunately, we've done as well as we have. And here we are now where uh, the chickens have come home to roost and all of those costs have hit us in one, one go. Yeah. Do you think, um, I mean, I remember hearing back in January, February about the polysilicon price increases and we'll be mourned by the manufacturers and the price is going to go up. And then we communicated that to market and then, you know, the market didn't move at all. We've been spoiled. And then it was around March. We've been spoiled yeah. work for years at an ever-declining module cost. And I think you remember back to Sun Edison days when we were in meetings with people from America and from the Middle East and from Asia, and we said, here's what we're paying for panel, and they were all flabbergasted that we were paying equivalent at the time of 10 cents Australian or what less than what they were paying for modules, and it's because we're a very competitive, mature market. Yeah, true, true. But even the, the early warning signs there, some of the biggest... Um, some of the biggest reasons for the cost increases that manufacturers have been flagging and distributors in the last week since the, the price shock happened is the cost of shipping lines, although that was also flagged earlier this year, the increasing cost of shipping lines and also the availability of um, container spots on vessels. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, on top of that, I spoke to Dougal from Fronius today and he said, uh, have you seen our coal price? Uh, and I hadn't actually paid attention because I didn't think it was relevant, but it's entirely relevant because Chinese have got coal-fired power stations that are tuned to run on Australian black coal, which is the best in the world, and they don't have any of it at the moment. So some of those plants are actually sitting idle. But the cost of our coal has increased from $125 a tonne to $250 a tonne, and that works out at 8.3 cents a kilowatt hour. So a kilo of coal will make three three kilowatt hours of energy. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think so, I was reading today, um, Chinese energy production is currently 70% coal. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I'm guessing there's a small portion of nuclear in there. There's a bit of hydro and there's a bit of solar. So their energy mix probably isn't that much different to Australia. That's right, but they've currently got what they're calling an energy crisis, right? So Mm. um, I think it's affecting half of the provinces in China and what they're doing is currently rationing energy. So that's in manufacturing, that's to a lesser degree residential, but the feedback we've received from manufacturers is that um, with the current crisis and current ration of electricity, some of them, the ones are in a good position and running their production plants at 60% of capacity. So 
They've got to have days where they're offline. They've only got allocated hours they can run. So what's the issue there with, with um, module, module manufacturing capacity versus demand? It takes a lot of energy to make a uh, solar panel and, again, had lots of opinion on this. We've always run with the idea that it's around about a, a year to get energy payback from a module. I think that it's much less than that now since we've had the advent of MonoPerk. Uh, that that perk layer has increased our efficiencies from you know, 14 or 15 percent up to 18 percent. Few other bits and pieces along the way. So I think there's a a significant amount less energy that it takes to make a say a 390 watt panel now than it did to make a 250 watt panel uh, five years ago. But the the number's going to end up somewhere between. Uh, 350 and 500 kilowatt hours, uh, I think. Yep. Five, 500 kilowatt hours. If I was paying for that electricity here in Victoria, our uh, standard offer is 30 cents a kilowatt hour, and that works out at around 42 cents in energy cost to make a 390 watt panel before I've got, say, a billion dollar factory. And employees, raw materials, all, shipping, all, employees, all, all of the other things that yeah, make yeah, up yeah, yeah. A, a solar module. So, just the bare energy is as much as, uh, ad admittedly, obviously, when you're buying energy in those sorts of numbers, you're going to get a discount. But on the same token, if you're buying energy from another country and you've got to ship it there, uh, truck it around, all of these things add to the uh, the bottom line. And uh, I think that we've been very fortunate to have had access to modules in the um, mid thirties of a of, of a quality and standard that we uh, that we're used to. And I think the expectation was that the price is just going to going to go down continually. I mean, that's what we've seen, right? There's been some corrections in the market, minor corrections, rarely more than ten percent upwards. Um, I, don't, and, I, don't, I, don't, I honestly don't recall any time that the module price has gone up. Luke, you know, yep, maybe yep. small quantities, big quantities, but in, in terms of like exchange rate, would when buy, the exchange rate has moved or something similar. Oh, sure. Yep. Exchange yep. rate variations, you know, uh, if you roll the clock back to when the feed in tariff finished in Western Australia, the exchange rate was over a dollar and we had DayQ panels at 50 cents or what. And we had a warehouse full of them and we couldn't give them away. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> You'd do pretty well if you had them now, right? <laughs> as long well, as they're on the CEC list, any any modules at the moment. Um, that, that was seven years ago and it never, it never really went any higher. It, it kept getting lower from that point. So where do you forecast it's going to go then based on what you can see in front of you? Um, I think that we've still got another several cents to add for the additional energy that it takes to make or the additional cost of that energy that it takes to make a panel. So I think there's several cents there. I think that we will have to cop the uh, the freight costs and there's between four and five cents depending on the packing density in the container. So 35 mil frames, it's five cents and 30 mil frames, it's four cents. Uh, so that's a, a significant add-on that still isn't really being reflected in the module cost. 
Uh, and then we have a billion dollars worth of plant and equipment that's capable of running 24 hours a day, seven days a week that is only being utilised for a couple of days until the energy issue is worked out. Uh, hence, I think that there's at least another five cents there. So mm. if I add the three together, I get 26 cents. And if we work on a baseline of, uh, say, 35 or 40, depending on which module you were buying before. If you were buying modules at 35, it's the same amount of increase as modules that were 36 from, say, a more reputable manufacturer. You have uh, another 14, 15 cents on top of that. So we're landing somewhere between 50 and 55 cents a watt uh, yep. in, the, in the Australian market in the coming months. And then if the shortages actually pan out that way and we physically can't get enough stock, then that's when uh, people that have mentioned the price gouging mm. that's uh, <laughs> going on at the moment, that, that's when that actually starts happening and that's the, the supply and demand that's in the market. If I want it and you want it, then it's, uh, it, it's effectively going to be an auction and mm. On the flip side of that, we've been the victims of that auction as a wholesaler. True. In the oh, yeah, opposite direction. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Our customers have, have gone to the competition and said, we can get it for this, we can get it for that. And the reverse auction meant that we were in a market where we had no choice but to accept those prices. And now the auction's gone the other way. And the fact that I don't know any wholesaler that's made any sizable amount of money if we're yep. making money it's it's measured in single digit you know ones and twos percentages uh mm. so if price gouging is is making 10 percent, then the rest of the solar industry who makes 30 percent on cost is clearly the guilty party and we should uh yeah really have a look at uh what we think is is appropriate for a, a distributor to uh, to make. Certainly, there's lots of employees mm. involved. There's lots of logistic pe logistics people. Uh, there's there's mouths to feed along the way, and yep. all of that costs money. And we need to be able to run a business that uh, returns at least some profit to the people that are putting up the money. So mm. if I'm to go to the bank and start my own wholesale business, I need to borrow at least five million bucks and with no assets uh i'm really looking at six seven percent interest so i think mm -hmm. that that's a fair number for a wholesaler to be able to expect to get a return on their investment absolutely and just to run a sustainable business keep the doors open so just coming back to it though so you're touching on supply and demand and a squeeze in the market the way i'm reading the play is this man that Best case scenario, if the module manufacturers are pushing out 60% of their capacity, let's yep. say it might not be that figure, um, and let's say that Australia as a market gets the same proportion of that stock that we have traditionally, which is a good mm -hmm. chance. I mean, there's there's markets like India and some of the other ones that pay less than us, and there's some that pay more. But we're also, let's say we're going to get that stock. I doubt whether there's enough stock landing to maintain the current run rate or maybe at a stretcher to be the current run rate, let alone peaking up towards the end of the year. And I think 
everyone set the end of the year as it's going to be a reset, start next year, stock comes and we're all good. However, there's curtailment <laughs> in manufacturing and Chinese New Year's at the start of Feb, so wipe out two weeks there, as is the Beijing Winter Olympics. Now, if you go off the last Olympics that China had, the Beijing Olympics, they shut down a lot of the manufacturing in the north in yeah. the month leading up to it to, to freshen the, the sky air. up and whatnot, clean the air. So, so realistically, if that's the case, if we go in and, and we don't have enough stock or barely have enough stock for run rates, we've got that extra disruption plus the usual shipping lines which are taking more time and cost more, that's putting us till mid-next year at best when we're going to see the supply-demand thing correct based on the assumption that things are going to get up and going. I think the, you know, the polysilicon price in the last couple of weeks has gone up 25%, and that's not even factored into the current, to the current price hikes. Yeah, so that, that polysilicon cost uh, is, is a direct result of the cost of energy. So if cost of energy goes up, it's a hugely energy-intensive part of the production process of, of making a solar panel. Uh, once you've cut that silicon into wafers and you are turning it into a cell, there's a, a lot of energy and you've been to the REC factory in Singapore and seen it. Uh, each of the processes, rinse, uh, chemical treat, oven, rinse, chemical treat, oven or, or something along. And there's a hell of a lot of little ovens along the way chewing, a, chewing an enormous amount of power. And the global production now is over 100,000 panels an hour. And each one of those is using some somewhere around 300 to 500 kilowatt hours to manufacture. It's mm. a lot of energy. Um, and there's a lot of zeros on the calculator for that one. Um, how that pans out across different countries, obviously not everybody gets their silicon from China. Uh, you've got... Q cells in the mix, you've got sun power in the mix, you've got REC in the mix that have all definitely sourcing their silicon outside of China. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be less expensive. It could still be very expensive. Uh, and I don't know that anyone's going to start up a silicon plant in Australia as much well, as actually, we make- actually, in the news today, Andrew Forrest has announced that he's, um, I think they're doing feasibility on, I think it's something like 90 gig, something similar worth of production so he's he's talking about thin film production and he's talking about to because they've got this whole vision to put in the hydrogen plants and all that sort of thing in the top end of um in the top end of wa and also as part of the sun cable thing in northern territory they're talking about not just what is it 90 gig or whatever the number is and it's it's somewhere around the 30 gigawatts but nonetheless i don't think people understand what a gigawatt is and if you remember, do back you know what day, a gigawatt is? <laughs> that, that was the joke at Sun Edison. Uh, yeah. They were the largest. Luke and I both worked for Sun Edison, of course. And we, uh, if you roll the clock back, we had a, a meeting with the boss, uh, and there was thousands of people across the world in on the call. And he was talking about the Indian market. He said, "Do you know what a gigawatt is?" Uh, and that sort of stuck. <laughs> Stuck with you and I, Luke, that uh, a gigawatt is an enormous amount of energy. And, yeah, yeah, so 30 gigawatts for the sun cable thing, the whole Australian market 
is less than four gigawatts a year. So we're talking about 10 times the entire workforce that's employed in solar at the moment um, to build that one. And they're also talking 35 upward, well, 35 to 40 gigawatt hours worth of storage, which is perspective there is more than the entire annual production of Tesla's Gigafactory in Nevada. So, Unreal. Uh, we, they're, they're talking about putting the industry in Northern Territory, even the government's supporting it where they've been manufacturing modules. Uh, I haven't heard batteries discussed. I, I'm not right across it, but maybe the conversation is coming back to manufacturing for those projects. I mean, if they can get feasibility on these large projects, sun cable, massive hydrogen plants, you know, tied to solar farms, maybe there is feasibility in doing the manufacturing too, but maybe also there's security in the stock, having the stock available. We're coming back to what we're talking about, man. Um, we're talking about stock stock security, um, getting enough for our market. I mean, these are all good projects that may yeah, look. They may bring they may bring manufacturing, but in the short term we're we're highly dependent on Chinese production, whether it's the modules and the whole shebang, or whether it's the upstream components, the polysilicon, the J boxes, the alley, all the other yeah. stuff that makes up a panel. All, all we're, those bits. So again, uh, of the people that I've spoken to this week, when I say to them that the Australian market installs on average, if we average it over the years, 700,000 panels a month, I get a, really? What? Uh, so the sort of scale in Australia re- really does lead the world for our population. Uh, we are leading the world for uh, for solar installs and 700,000 panels a month. Uh, there's 20 working days, so it's a lot of panels each day. If you uh, if you run the maths, that's a hell of a lot of people employed in our industry, and certainly I don't want to see us uh, lose half of those employees because the stock's not here. But a wise customer told me a couple of days ago, he said, Carl, the stock will always be there. It's just a matter of what is considered a fair price for it. Mm-hmm. So with the increase in cost, there'll be a slight uh, reduction in demand. And we've seen that before when prices come down. Uh, it takes a while to to filter through and for things to ramp up. I think this particular one is going to take at least two, maybe three months for the dust to settle. Uh, mm-hmm. We haven't hit the peak yet. That's my opinion. You know, I've said that I think it's going to be somewhere around that 50, 55 cents a watt. Uh, so if we, once we get to that peak, I think it will be a couple of months before we start seeing any kind of uh, decline and there'll be a new normal in the industry. And that new normal is, well, unfortunately, 15 cents a watt. It's more than, a, it's a thousand bucks or 1100 bucks on your typical 6.6 kilowatt system. Fair call. I read an analyst today, though, who said the squeeze, just talking about the polysilicon, the squeeze is expected to happen. So the demand's grown 21%. Obviously, you've got curtailment of production, but he's saying the squeeze on the demand for the polysilicon is forecast to go through all of next year. So, you know, I can't see a big oversupply of panels for some time yet. I'm calling it not 12 months in the next 12 months. So there will be there will be panels coming in. 
Um, I it, think it's going to find out. The the really amazing thing to uh, to to you know slightly aside from this, obviously everybody all around the world's been impacted heavily by COVID, and yet worldwide demand for solar installs has, has barely missed a beat. It, it's gone from strength to strength. And I think uh, we talked about this the other day, the global production of solar modules has increased. Uh, it, it's near enough double in, in two years from a couple of hundred gigawatts to 400 gigawatts. And we were fine when production was only half what it is today, two years ago. Our demand for the Australian market was about the same. It was around that 2.83 gigawatts. So we can survive if there's half as much production happening, but prices from two years ago plus the energy differences and all the rest of it, we'll, we'll come up with a number somewhere. But what advice are you giving your customers at the moment? Because there's a lot of concern that people have been so pegged around the pricing and competing at those low price points, so skinnier margins. Yeah. What advice are you giving to companies to, you know, to be sustainable but also to thrive in the coming season? Jared nailed it uh, on the solar cutters thread. He said there's two different ways of running your business. One is you sell a job, you go out and you buy the stock for it. And the other is that you buy the stock and then you go and sell it to a customer. Now, buying the stock first is a far better idea when there's volatility in the market. And obviously, uh, the solar industry has rewarded people that are well-planned and well-organised in the past. And unfortunately, it punishes those that aren't. And this is one of those times where it's really going to punish people that have got uh, a large order book and that they're perhaps buying direct and they don't have a forward arrangement with a wholesaler who might be carrying some buffer for them. If, if you were direct with a Chinese manufacturer and you were for example, installing 10 containers a week and then all of a sudden the supply disappeared or the price went up by 10 cents of what you'd be in a lot of trouble very quickly. Mm, true. It's true. So I think the advice, some of the advice I've been given is um, comes down to how people are quoting. So like I said, if you have predictable stock and you know what you've landed it at and you go and sell it, that's one thing. Another thing is if you look at commercial solar, it's not always possible to do that and also bring it down to residential. So one of the things I've been talking about is how are people structuring their quotes, mm -hmm. so shorter quote validity periods, also um, building variation clauses within quotes. So similar to what manufacturers do with us, in the event that the module price rises more than 10%, 15%, 5%, whatever you want to peg it at, yeah. You put that within the clauses of the quote and the contracts because if you're quoting something 12 months out at the moment, let's say hypothetically it moved 30 cents upwards, which yep. I don't think it would go that far. Yep. Um, you come up with a choice where you either need to break the contract and try and re-quote it, maybe you'll be locked in, maybe you're up for damages, maybe something else, whereas if you've built a clause within there and within that, within the way you're quoting and selling that system, you're talking about the volatility of the pricing and some of the indicators we're getting and building that within there, part of the sales process so um, so you can allow for that, you're sort of protecting yourself somewhat. You can't do it in all cases, but 
Um, remember, I forwarded, I forwarded an email to you from March where that was for a customer who was quoting for a long-term contract Indeed. and were requesting, requesting an 18-month locked price on panels. Now, back yeah. in March, I used the same things. The raw cost was going up. There were issues yeah. with shipping costs, and I flagged six months ago that global demand is expected to exceed global production capacity for the next six months at least. Now it looks like it's going to be longer than that. So if you can build those in, I think a lot of the other components, you know, with inverters, um, it potentially would have been even harder hitting with semiconductor shortages and all the issues with that. But I think that's going to be tempered because you can't install the inverters and so forth without the panels. Mm-hmm. I think I think there's volatility in some of the other stuff. Cable's gone up a bit, you know, in line with copper and that. But but it's really the modules that they make up the biggest dollar figure in any quote. So if you can manage that, you do well. And if you have got the money and you've got the price on the day and you've got the shed room and you can carry it, well, that's the ideal scenario. But it's not always possible. Not always possible. Sounds good, mate. Yeah. Are we going so, to sign um, off at that? I think we'll sign off at that. But, man, good to have a chat. I think we should do it again. One of the reasons I wanted to chat to you like this, I mean, we have these conversations most days about various things. Yeah. But, um, but there's a lot of noise. A lot of customers are coming to us and asking us questions and they're saying, I've heard this, I've heard that, I've heard that. I think that both of us are pretty well informed and we can speak from, you know, a decent amount of experience. So. So appreciate it, man. We've been doing um, this 10 years, Luke. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> uh, very true, man. Very true. Look, and the thing is along the way we've built relationships that are not necessarily within our own businesses or they might have been within our own businesses uh, ac- across the way and those people have, have moved outside and, and yet we're still in touch with most of them uh, and so, Obviously, there was a, a great crew back in uh, Apollo Energy, Energy Matters days, and those people are working for other wholesalers. They're working for inverter manufacturers. Mm-hmm. Uh, on occasion, they're working for panel manufacturers. So you'd, you'd think that uh, in a time, Time like this, there's obviously a lot of buzz between all of these people, and uh, I've certainly found it on. And uh, I'm, I'm not taking away from those that uh, are, are feeling some financial pain here. Uh, and the upside to that is the stabilisation doesn't take long. You know, once we adjust to the new normal, mm-hmm. uh, without uh, COVID. Uh, even if the price is 10 cents a watt or 20 cents a watt higher than what it has been, our industry has uh, has, has uh, to, to get over these things and keep going. Let's Agreed, just hope that we do it again. Onwards and upwards. Onwards and upwards. <laughs>